Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Today, get your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter number 15. This is the story of us. If you remember, the book of Acts is a continuing account of what Jesus began both to do and to teach. And in our day, Jesus is still doing a whole lot. Jesus is still moving on the earth. How is he moving? Primarily, he is moving through his church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus today is doing something in that he is building his church. And the book of Acts is how the church began. It's how the church started. But you know, it's not just a history lesson. This is the story of us. We are the church today. And the Bible tells us that all of the stories contained in the Bible are examples for you And for me, how to live life, how to overcome, how to walk the walk of faith, how to have a great marriage, how to have a great family, how to do the things that God has called us to do. The title of today's specific message from Acts 15 is this, Breaking Burdens, Building Believers. Breaking Burdens, Building Believers. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse number one, we're just going to hit this one verse and launch out into what we're going into today. Acts chapter 15 and verse number one, I'm reading from the New King James Version all day today. And it says this in Acts chapter 15, verse number one, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is a lie. This is false doctrine. This is not the message of the gospel, that you have to follow the customs of Moses and that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. The simple gospel is that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he raised again to life, and now any that looks to him, to his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for our sins, can be saved if they will simply believe, if they will receive that. See, believing and receiving means that you have committed your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. You've surrendered it all. And that you're following him, looking to that cross for your salvation. It's that simple. Don't try and muddy it up. Don't try and make it harder. See, sometimes we have this attitude, don't we, as people? We think that we have to climb the highest mountain. We have to cross the deepest ocean in order to obtain our salvation. We've got to be perfect. We, we try and add all these things to believing this simple gospel, you know. Well, it's got to be this and that, you know. Sometimes people come in and they say, well, in order to be saved, you have to be baptized, right? Jesus did say, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved, right? And so we know that's a command of God to be baptized, but does baptism get you saved? Absolutely not. I'm going to let that hang there for a second because, I, 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 like I said, I'm going to push you to think. Because Cornelius and his household sat and listened to Peter, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and Peter and the Jews that were with him said, they got the gift. They got the Holy Ghost. What's to stop them from being baptized in water as well? See, they were saved, and then they got water baptized. But water baptism didn't save them. Oh, but you got to be water baptized, and it has to be in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people will come in, and they'll say, well, you're not really saved unless you're saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you have to have the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's foolish. That is not true. Should you be baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues? Absolutely. I hope that everybody does that. And yet, not everybody that's saved is going to speak in tongues. I'm just going to, like I said, I'm going to push you to think, okay? 
because we never heard that the eunuch on the road to back home to Ethiopia, we never heard that he was speaking in tongues. And yet he got saved. He heard the message. He believed it. He received it. Then he was water baptized there on the side of the road. And all of a sudden, Philip's gone. Never ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit to him. He probably, I don't know. He, he could have spoken tongues. Don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is he heard the message and got saved. So here come these people. They're called the Judaizers in the Bible. They come in and they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, people continually do this in our day and age, too. They come in and they want to add something to Christ. They want to add something to simple faith. They spread false doctrine. Oh, it's okay for you to be saved as long as, and they start adding to and taking away. But where does it end? Because eventually you'll be keeping the whole law and adding Christ to it as a stamp of approval rather than Christ himself being your approval. How are you listening today? Because you are approved in Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't know that, but Jesus put his stamp of approval on you when he went to the cross and stretched out his arms and died for you. He said, I love you. I have approved of you. You can be accepted in the beloved. How? By looking to that cross as your substitution, that he took my sin upon himself, that now I can be saved if I am in him. You have been approved by Jesus Christ, not by Christ and, not by Jesus in addition to Nothing else. See, there's no more than Christ, no less than Christ, and nothing else than Christ. Can anybody say amen? Now, now these guys, this, this causes a chain of events because the Bible says there was no small dispute that arose when Paul and Barnabas got wind that, hey, these guys are saying that we need to be circumcised. They said, what? And they ran over there, and they started fighting. They started arguing. They were like, no, you don't know. And, and, and listen, you've got Barnabas, who is a Levite. This guy was the priestly order. That was his heritage. He would have known what this was all about. He would have known about the customs. He would have known about the law, all those things. Then you've got Paul. This is a Hebrew of Hebrews. This was a guy who was studying to be a Pharisee and studying to be a part of the Sanhedrin. He was holding to the strictest form of the religious law. This guy had the best schooling, the best education, the best teachers. He could school anybody in the Old Testament. And so they step up to the plate and they're like come on man we're gonna take you to the mat on this right now it's not Jesus and it's no circumcision don't put that on the Gentiles they don't need that and they have a big fight about it and finally they say well listen let's send you guys back to Jerusalem so they send them to Jerusalem to ask the apostles and the elders about this whole matter and this in turn causes a greater dispute the Bible says the whole church gathered together and after much dispute. They had everybody talking. Some people were shouting. The Pharisees stood up and said, we've got to command the Gentiles to hold to the customs. And, and, and they're going back and forth, batting this thing around. And finally, Peter, Peter steps up. You know Peter. This is the great apostle who on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the first message and thousands of people got saved. This is Peter who often was uh, throughout the gospel sticking his foot in his mouth, and yet he was doing a whole lot for Jesus, and this guy had such a great heart. But now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, when Peter speaks, people listen. This is the great apostle. This is the one who first preached to the Gentile church, and so he stands up and he reminds them of what God did with Cornelius and his household. Then James comes in, and James is the half-brother of Jesus. How many of you know if the half-brother of Jesus is talking, everybody's leaning in, what's he going to say? Right? This is James, who most likely was the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. There were pillars in the church, Peter, James, and John. James being this same James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. James stands in, and he makes a judgment, makes a decision, kind of solidifies and wraps up the matter with a prophetic word from the book of Amos. 
And then after that, they write a letter to the Gentiles. They tell them, listen, you don't have to be circumcised. We've got some guidelines for you, some things that we think that if you do those, you will do well. And Jew and Gentile both rejoice and are happy with the outcome. See, I see in this story, this story of us, that we can break burdens and we can build believers. And that's really what our life is all about. Because as believers, we are to be breaking these burdens off of people, not to be putting them into greater bondage. We're to break those burdens, but also we're to build believers. And so I'm going to give you this statement, as believers we are, and I'm going to complete that sentence three times today. And as we go throughout the Word of God, like I said, we're going to dive into some things that I believe are deep, and some of them hard to figure out, hard to understand at times. And it's going to take maturity, it's going to take wisdom, it's going to take perseverance on your part, and some effort as well. But I believe that you have the power. I believe that you have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God to be able to grab a hold of these things and start to get them incorporated into your life so that your relationship with God will thrive, so that you will be built up strong and healthy, so that no matter what comes down the pike, you're going to be able to handle it. Are you listening today? Are you ready for this? As believers, we are, number one, we are not burdened with religion. We are not burdened. With religion. Pastor, I thought I came to a religious church service today. Isn't Christianity a religion? Absolutely. If you want to define it like that, if you want to put simple terms on it, yes, Christianity is a religion. You could call that, but Christianity is much more than a religion. The world may define it like that, but Christianity is a life. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a life lived in him. That's what true Christianity really is all about. Not just a religious experience. It's not just a religious practice, a pious thing that we do because that's the right thing to do. No, it's because we've been saved. It's because we've been changed. It's because we can't not live for Jesus Christ. It's just a part of who we are. We've been recreated, and now we have a new DNA, and now it's a part of our makeup to live for Christ. And it's not cold, dead religion. It's no longer just traditions and ceremonies and rituals and activities that are empty and cold and dead. Acts chapter 15, verse number 7 through verse number 11. Take a look at what happens when they had brought this topic to the church. Acts chapter 15, verse number 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, You know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Everybody say believe. Oh, come on, shout it at me. Say believe. If you're watching online, shout at your television when I tell everybody to say the word. And maybe you want to type it in the comments section, believe. All right, so he says, by my mouth, that God chose among the Gentiles that they should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, so God, who knows the heart, everybody say heart. Acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Verse number nine, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Everybody say faith. Okay, now I had you shout three words. I had you say believe. I had you say heart. I had you say faith. Mark those words in your thinking. Now, believe and faith in some senses could be synonymous. You understand? They could be really inner. inner Twined, inter- interchanged. They could be used in the same sense. I am believing, therefore I am in faith. All right? You guys get that picture? So he says, believe, heart, and faith. Verse number 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the necks of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. 
Now, we have to define terms for a second because sometimes we hear a term like yolk, and some of you guys say, man, if someone cracked an egg on my neck, I would hate that. I, I, I'd, I wouldn't be able to bear that either. It'd be so sticky and nasty. I have to go and take a shower. But really, we're not talking about yolk as in Y-O-L-K. We're talking about a yolk, Y-O-K-E. Pastor, what's the difference, okay? Up on the screen, you see a picture. This is a yolk, Y-O-K-E. What they would do in agrarian times and societies is that they would put this yoke on two oxen, two cattle, two beaten, burst, beasts of burdens. Thank you. I'm having to think today. See, I'm even pushing myself. Beasts of burden, all right? And so they would put this yoke over their necks. You see those U-shaped rings? Okay. They would put the head of that animal through that. And then the ring in the center there, they would tie that to a rope or a chain that would come back to a plow, and they would stand behind that, and as they drove those cattle or those oxen or those beasts of burden, there it is, and they would move that plow forward in straight lines, all right? And what they would do to train oxen is that they would train an oxen by putting one that was strong and putting that one was weak together, maybe the younger one that had never been yoked before, and the older one would plow the way that it was supposed to because it knew the way. So here was the law. Here was the old covenant. Here was circumcision and all of the commandments. And that burden was a yoke. When you are connected to that yoke, it's stronger than you are in the flesh. And it will take you out and you can't bear that burden. It's too heavy for your neck. Why? Because you cannot be perfect according to the flesh. You will never measure up. You will never be able to plow that line. Why? Because that yoke was not meant for you. There had to be a greater one that would come along. Had to be one that could come and that could bear that weight of sin and bear that burden. And the one who came is Jesus Christ. He is the beast of burden. He's the only one strong enough to take it on. In the book of Revelation, you find a creature with four faces, right? The face of a man, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, and the face of an oxen. And that oxen was the beast of burden. It was the suffering servant. Jesus came and he bore the weight of that yoke upon his shoulders and he carried it through. And now Jesus says, don't take the yoke of the world. Don't take the yoke of the law. Don't take the yoke of circumcision and all the commandments. Take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Jesus is the greater one. Jesus is the stronger one. And when you get yoked up with Jesus, when you get connected to Jesus, now he will teach you how to plow and how to move forward in the straight and narrow way. So Peter says, why? Why do you test God? By trying to put this yoke on the backs of these Gentile believers. Verse number 11, but we believe. Oh, come on. We believe. One more time, it's just too good. But we believe. That through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that just unmerited favor? Absolutely it is. But guess what else it is? It's God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done on your behalf when you can't do it. You could not save yourself. You needed God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done, the job of salvation on your behalf when you couldn't do it. We believe that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, some of the Pharisees, I would imagine, and some of the people that were sitting there who were contending for the Gentiles to be circumcised probably heard this last statement, and it smarted a little. Ooh, that hurt. 
Peter, why you got to twist the knife when you jab it in there, man? He said, what are you talking about, Pastor? Notice what he says. We believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. You know the basis of this whole argument was they should be saved in the same manner as we. Peter flips that on its head. He says, we should be saved in the same manner as they. What is that? Believe and receive. It's that simple, accepting it as truth, receiving it into your life, and living according to it. Not by works. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. See, the way of salvation is not by works, but by grace through faith. Let's take a look at it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and verse number 9. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved. It's by God's ability, God's power on your behalf where you couldn't do it. You couldn't measure up. You couldn't live up to the standard, but by the grace of God, you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I did it. I saved myself. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I was dead in sin, but I did it. No, no, no. God says no one else will receive that glory. Only I will. I'm the one who's deserving. I'm the one who's perfect. I'm the one who's worthy. And I will not share my glory with another, the Bible says. Therefore, God says, it's just by simple faith. But is that enough? Because in our minds, in our natural flesh, in our natural thinking, we've been conditioned to think that we've got to do more. It doesn't look like enough. Just faith? Yes, just faith. Let me illustrate this to you with a story. There was a man who was looking at the sword of Skanderbeg. Skanderbeg was an Albanian hero, war hero. As he's looking at the sword, the sword had a story that it could actually cut boulders in half in mythical times, you know, that sort of a thing. They had this, you know, they built up these stories. He could just crack a rock in half. But beyond that, they would say that he could take that sword and he could cut a man straight in half from top to bottom, straight through. And as the man's looking at the sword, he's going, man, I, I just don't see it. And he remarks to his friend, I, you know, I don't think this sword is strong enough to cut a man down the center, right through the half. And his friend replied, yes, but you should have seen the iron that wielded the sword. See, faith is that sword. And the arm that wields the sword, the one that has the strength, is the grace of God on your behalf where you couldn't do it. Simple faith doesn't look like enough by itself, but when the grace of God gets a hold of your faith, now all of a sudden, by grace through faith, you have been saved. It splits you from your old life and brings you into relationship with God. It is by grace through faith. See, there's a new law and there's a new order for worship. That's why we don't hold to the Old Testament laws and customs. See, those old things have passed away because now there's a new king and there's a new priest on our behalf. His name is Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse number 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what? Oh, come on, help me preach this sermon today. Who does what? Who believes, who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the end of the law. We no longer have to sacrifice an animal. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice needed because he did it all. He did it all on the cross. And therefore, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Righteousness is the right position and the right practice with God. It means that now we are in the right place with God, but now we can do the right things with and for God. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You don't have to act good to be good. No, you act good because you are good in God. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, let's just throw it in there just because Romans chapter 10, verse number 4, verse number 9 comes after verse number 4, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as hearing the gospel message, believing it in your heart, and confessing it with your mouth. Acts chapter 15, verse number 16 through verse number 19, turn back there with me. Remember, James got up and he uses this Old Testament prophecy. I want to read you this prophecy and kind of unpack what the Scripture is saying to us. It's important for us to understand these things and not just skip through them without giving them the attention that they deserve. Acts chapter 16, uh, 15, verse number 16 through verse number 19, James steps up and he says this and he prophesies. He, he reminds everybody of the, the word from Amos and he says, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. Now, why is the tabernacle of David important? Here's the reason why. Because God had given Moses instructions. Moses was a Levite. And he gave Moses instructions to set up a tabernacle that held the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark represented the presence of God. And there came a time where the Ark was at Shiloh and David was king and the, the ark had its own tent, it had its own tabernacle, and they would go to that ark and they would inquire of God before the priests. But the ark was in captivity, and it was in different places, and, and, and it finally came back to Israel, and it was at someone's house, and then David had it in his heart, because David had just such a heart for God. And David had such a heart for the presence of God, that he called the ark to Jerusalem. There was a time where he was bringing the ark to himself. He wanted the presence of God near to him. And so what did he do? He built a tent himself. David is not Moses. Moses brought in the covenant, the old covenant, the law. Moses was according to the priest tribe, Levi, so Aaron, right? And the high priest, that whole service could go before God ceremonially under the old covenant. But David did something different. David had no rights. David could not be a priest. And yet, he steps in and he takes the place of prophet, priest, and king. And he calls the ark to himself. He builds a tabernacle for it. And he hosts the presence of God. And then he puts order for worship. He has people 24-7 that are assigned to do nothing more than to sing, than to play instruments, than to praise. And he put all this stuff in order. He had people writing songs. He had music going. Why? Because he wanted the presence of God. God saw that, and God didn't rebuke him. God didn't say, David, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be in the position of a priest. You're a king. Stay in your lane. God doesn't say that at all. God says, after this... I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. God liked what David did. And I will rebuild its ruins. What does that mean? Verse number 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. See, David's tabernacle was a picture that we could come and we could get a hold of the presence of God. We didn't have to go through a priest. We didn't have to go through a ceremonial ritual. We didn't have to go through a system. No, now we could come to God. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. I love the next scripture, verse number 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. In other words, God knew he was going to do this before he ever did it. 
It was already a part of the plan of God. God was saying something. He's saying, I want everybody. I want the Gentile. Hey, most of us, that's you and that's me. If you're not a Jew in this place today or watching online, that's us. This is us. And thank God that we weren't outcasts. Thank God that we weren't pushed aside because we didn't have the law and we didn't have the covenants and we didn't have the fathers and we didn't have the promises. No, now we get the opportunity to come and to encounter the presence of God, to come and worship before the Lord, to come and to praise God. Why? Because the tabernacle of David has been set up once again in Jesus Christ. Jesus came according to the tribe of Judah. Jesus was a direct descendant of King David. Therefore, he qualified to be the king in the line of David. But he's not a Levite, so he's not that priesthood. No, he's got a new priesthood. He's a high priest. The Bible says according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't have time to get into all that, but Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7, you can read about it in Genesis, all right? Find out about the Melchizedek priesthood. Because of the priesthood, there had to be a change of the law. Are you listening? So we've got a new king, and this new king is both prophet, priest, and king, and he sets up a tabernacle. That's you, and that's me because this is just a tent. This is just my earth suit. But in this tabernacle, when I get born again, I can now host the presence of God, and I can worship him, and I can praise him 24-7. Wow. Verse number 19, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. As believers, we break down those burdens. See, raising the church of Christ, the son of David, was indeed rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And now we can come into this wonderful presence of God, not by works, not because we held to the law. No, because we simply believed the message and received the presence of God into our life. I got to move. I got to run because otherwise we're going to be here till Jesus comes. All right? Second one is this. Second one is this. As believers, we are to build life on the necessary things. Second thing is this, that we are to build life on the necessary things. There are things that we do need to do after we get saved. We don't do them to get saved. We do them because we are saved. Did you guys catch that today? Make sure because that's an important distinction. We don't do them to get saved. We do them because we are saved. In the letter that they write to the Gentile believers, there are some truths that we need to pull out for our lives. Acts chapter 15, this time verse number 28 and verse number 29. This is a part of the letter, okay? In Acts chapter 15, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. Why do I love that so much? Because it shows the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit. See, they had a council. The whole church was assembled. They were batting this thing around back and forth. Peter steps up. Paul and Barnabas testify what God did. James steps up, and he rules on it, right? And now it's not just one person making the decision. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is the wisdom in the body of Christ. We have the Spirit of God. We can discern. We can judge on matters pertaining to the church. So many people, don't judge me. No, we can judge on matters pertaining to the church. The Bible says. So let's not buy into the foolishness of this world. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Everybody say necessary. There are some necessary things that we need to do. Look at verse number 29. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you will keep yourself from these, you will do well. And then they bid them farewell. 
Now, these necessary things. Remember that these Gentile believers are in Syrian Antioch. Antioch was like the Las Vegas of their day. It was a pleasure place. It was a playground. You would go there. They had temples to gods. You could go and get a prostitute. Parents, cover your children's eyes. You could go and get a prostitute and do what you do with prostitutes, that sort of a thing, right? And what happened in Antioch stayed in Antioch. You know, it was kind of one of those places. Whole lot of bad stuff going on there. Whole lot of idol worship, whole lot of revelry, all that kind of stuff. And part of that was drinking blood. And so he says, I want you to stay away from things sacrificed to idols. Don't contaminate yourself with the things of this world. I want you to stay away from sexual immorality. Don't get a temple prostitute. That is not okay. Abstain from that. And then he says, I don't want you to drink blood or eat any animal that was strangled. Why? Because the blood would still be in the meat of that animal. They had a prescribed way that they would kill the animal, they would drain the blood, and then they would be able to eat it. Why, why, why would they do that? Because the blood represented the life. And to God, life is precious. And those things, the Jews had been so versed, and he goes on to say, Moses has been preached in all the, uh, all the synagogues for all this time, right? The Jews have a certain way, and they get offended when they see Gentiles with idols or Gentiles with the temple prostitutes or Gentiles eating and drinking blood. And so he says, to not offend your brother, it's necessary that you stay away from these things. Everybody tracking? All right, good. Because I want to lay down conduct for Christians. Because after we get saved, appropriate conduct after conversion is to be expected. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Whoo! Wait a second, Pastor. You just said it's only by faith. You just believe that you don't got to do nothing else. No, that is not what I said. I said that's how you get in the door. But once you're inside, there's a certain way you ought to act. You want to know why people aren't getting saved in droves. You want to know why people are so offended and saying things like, don't judge me? Here's the reason why. Because Christians are not acting like Christians should. You will destroy a witness acting like the world when Christians are going and soliciting prostitutes, when Christians are bound by drugs and alcohol, when Christians are going and seeing movies and listening to music and doing things that they should not do, when they're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and whatever else other type of social media, or even with your neighbor, if you're sitting there criticizing, judging, and condemning the world and not acting like a Christian, then you are ruining your witness, and you're ruining it for all of us. So would you knock it off? It's time to act like a Christian. Remember, you don't be good to get saved. You do good because you're saved. Jesus, remember, has a new law for us. His law is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does that mean? It means you're willing to lay down your life and value someone else greater than your own life. It shows me something. See, it used to be out of letter that we would observe commandments. It used to be out of the letter that we were good, right? Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make a graven image. See, but if you love God, it's no longer out of the letter, but now it's out of love. If you love God, you won't make a graven image. If you love God, you won't have any other gods before him. You won't make an idol. You'll keep his days 
holy every day now is a Sabbath day. We are in the rest of God. But you'll keep his days holy. And if you love your neighbor, you won't steal from him. Why? Because I love them. I would never want to harm them. You won't commit adultery. Why? Because I love them. And I love my spouse. I won't commit adultery. I'm not going to go out on this covenant. See, love will keep you from the things that the commandment used to. Now it's no longer out of law. It's out of love. And that's the life that the Gentile believers are commended to. They say, guys, if you do these things, you won't offend all the Jews around you. And guess what else? You'll have good standing with God. Wow. Wow. I love what Irenaeus, the second century bishop of Lyons, said. He said, in things necessary, unity. In things doubtful, liberty. In all things, charity. Let me read that again. In things necessary, unity. We need to unite on things like the virgin birth, the blood of Jesus, right? We need to unite on those things. There are certain things that are necessary for our lives. And things doubtful, liberty. Speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, right? Do you have women in ministry? Do you not have women in ministry? These are great areas in the word of God. There are great scriptures on both. Is it limited atonement, full atonement, right? Partial, full atonement, atonement later on. Listen, we don't even know what all that means. We're arguing all the way around it, and we don't even understand it all ourselves. And the scriptures have very good scriptures. Is one saved, always saved, right? Election, is it predestination? Is it pre-trib? Post-trib, mid-trib, what is it? We don't know. But we're going to find out when it happens. Hello, come on, somebody. If we're here, we're going to be like, oh, it was post-trib. Dang, right? Pretty messed up out there. If it's pre-trib, we're going to be like, whoo, thank God I didn't have to go through that. Hello. The point is be ready. But don't judge your brother if they think it's mid-trib. And things doubtful, liberty in all things charity love one another as Jesus Christ has loved you I gotta move I gotta move otherwise man last one is this last one is this I told you Acts chapter 15 is deep as believers we are commended to live life well lived commended to life well lived See, verse number one that we read today when we launched out, you remember that all the time ago? Acts chapter one, they came and they condemned them. You cannot be saved. That was a condemnation. You're not saved. You don't hold to Moses' laws. Condemnation. But see, as believers, we are not condemned. There is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean do whatever you want to do. There's still appropriate conduct after conversion. But we are commended to life well lived. The apostles here commend the church to do well by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Acts chapter 15 verse 29. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. They commended them. Hey, live a life well lived. It's okay. You're going to be just fine. Don't let these people trouble you. We didn't send them anyways. See, God never intended for our good works to be a substitute for our relationship with him. Our good works should flow from the relationship we have with him. And when it comes to our relationship with others, we shouldn't judge and condemn, criticize people to death, but we should love them to life. See, we need to commend people to a life well lived. In essence, when you boil down these four things, I could really group them into three things that the apostles commend them to. 
right? First one is abstain from idols. Anything that had to do with an idol. What is an idol? An idol for us present day, if we wanted to bring this home and bring this to us today, an idol is anything that gets in the way of your relationship with God that desires your worship. If it's going to draw your attention away from God and get in the way of your relationship with God and want you to worship, what does that mean? Serve it, to bow down before it, to give to it, to sacrifice for it, right? Anything that takes your attention, your interest away from God and wants you to worship it, that is an idol in your life. For some of you, it might be money. Some of you, it might be your kids. Some of you, it might be sex. Some of you, it might be experiences, the next latest, greatest thing. Some of you, it might be friends. Some of you might be the approval and the acceptance of man. Just can't wait for that next like to happen on whatever social media you're on. That has become an idol to you. And so he says, stay away from those things and things associated with them. Can I put it to you like this? Don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with God. That's what they told him. They said, listen, don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with God. Second one is this, to abstain from sexual immorality. Can I say it to you like this? Stay sexually pure. Marriage stays inside, uh, sorry, sex stays inside of marriage. And the marriage bed is pure. Don't bring pornography into your marriage bed. That doesn't belong there. Because Jesus said if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. So if you're using that, parents, just, just, just do this. All right, a couple little fingers in the ears right now, okay? Let them color. But if you're using pornography to bring arousal so that you can, you've got a problem. Your spouse needs to be the one that you delight in. Bible says to delight yourself in the bosom of the wife of your youth, gentlemen. And ladies, you should be there for your husband. The Bible says your body is not your own, okay? I know this is adult church, all right? That's why we have children's ministry open, okay? But we got to talk about these things because God wants us to live a life well lived. We should enjoy what God gives to us in, in, in marriage. Stay sexually pure. Pastor, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm burning. Then, then let's get you married, right? In marriage, okay? Let's the devil blaspheme and say you're all a bunch of fornicators, right? Bunch of hypocrites. You're living like the rest of the world, okay? So if you're a Christian in this place, listen, there's no condemnation, but can I commend you? Let's get you married. If you're going to live together, you already have kids, that sort of a thing, and you're not going to move out and you're going to keep doing it, then hey, let's get you married because purity is better than impurity, God's way is better than the world's way. Come on. We've got to do this. Either that or you move out and you stay sexually pure until you're ready to get married. One or the other. I can't do that? Then let's get you married. Finally, is this, is to value life. See, when they said don't drink blood or eat the meat that's been strangled, what are they saying? They're saying value life. Pastor, what does that mean? There's so many applications. I don't have time to get into all this. But valuing the life of your brother, your sister, valuing the life of the unbelievers, valuing the life of the unborn and protecting them, not a political statement, because there were idols that people sacrificed their children to, and the Bible said it was detestable to God. Abortion is detestable to God. Not a political statement. And once again, if you've had an abortion, can you hear my heart as a pastor? And as a man that loves you, you are not under condemnation if you've had an abortion. God still loves you. God still loves that child. That child, I believe, is with God. Okay, that's just my personal belief. All right? But here's the deal, is that don't continue to do that. Don't continue in that. Because abortion 
defined by the Bible, is still murder. You're taking an innocent life. And God says that that practice is detestable. It grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you either raise that child or let someone adopt. It's just what God would have us to do. But we need to value life. We need to value the life of others. We need to value the life of refugees. We need to value the stranger. All right? That doesn't mean break the law. But it does mean that we don't detest people. We don't devalue people. We know we value life. There's so many applications of this. And like I said, I don't have time to get into it. Otherwise, I'm going to preach right through La Roca and hand it over to Pastor Jess when she's ready for the Revelation series. Three things. Three things. Don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with God. Stay sexually pure and value life. If you do these, you will do well. These are just as important and relevant to us today as they were back then. Architect Frank Lloyd Wright tells a story of being with his uncle and walking through a field on a snowy day. Architect Frank Lloyd Wright, you can see this is uh, the house called Water Falling. This is one of his most famous works that he designed and that he built. And he was walking with his uncle on a snowy day through a field. And as he was walking through, the uncle looked around and looked at his little nephew Frank running around. And he said, Frank, come over here. Come here. I, I, I want to tell you something. Draws him over. He says, hey, I want you to, I want you to look back over the field. You see your tracks, you're over here to the fence, then to the cattle, then back again. You're just hopping all over the place. Look at my tracks. My tracks go straight. Right at my destination, right at my goal. He says, Frank, there's an important lesson in that. Frank, with a sparkle in his eye later on, would tell people, I chose right then and there never to miss out on the important things in life. Never to let my focus get so focused that I didn't realize what was all around me. I didn't want to miss out on things like my uncle was missing out. See, there are places that our feet should not trod. Sexual immorality, idolatry, devaluing life. We need to stay away from those things. But there are some places that we need to allow the liberty that God has given us for us to run into. Places, how about like this, like faith, faith adventures, necessary things from God's word, right? And a life well lived in service of Jesus and of others. We have freedom in Christ, but let's not use our freedom for those things that are doubtful or those things that will hurt others or hurt the heart of God. Let's live a life well lived for Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes as we wrap this church service up today? And let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, I know there have been some, some heavy things we've talked about today, some deep things that we've gone into. But Lord, we believe that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can understand them. And so we receive them, God. And we thank you for those things that you've imparted to us. God, we may not even know the fullness of what you've done today, but we view it as a seed planted into the good ground of our heart that will take root and that will grow. And that there will be a day that we look at that and we say, wow, look at what God has done. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Today, can you just take a moment and pray? Ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you speaking to me? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.